You are listening to episode 60 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where the jester arrives and makes life chaotic for our horned hero. Hello, welcome to episode 60 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. I am the eponymous Dave from the title, known formerly as J. David Weeder. However, this is not a formal setting, so let's stick with Dave. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is predicated on a simple premise. Read Daredevil comics, enjoy Daredevil comics, and talk about reading and enjoying Daredevil comics. And this is the first time in a while, at least it feels like, that I've gotten to do a regular Daredevil episode. Uh, we had Daredevil 101, which was done fairly quickly on this end of the spectrum. And I know what you're thinking. Dave, this was supposed to be an all-email episode, is that correct? Yes, you are correct. When I sat down to record it, the recording quality just got botched, and it was on user error, my part. But it's one of those rare instances where I just could not fix it in editing. So I decided to fold uh, the emails themselves into regular episodes, just like normal, except I'm moving them to the front of the show. I just felt the show had been kind of off focus for a while, so it was time to get back to the normal ebb and flow of what we do week to week here. Not that I didn't enjoy Daredevil 101. In fact, Daredevil 101 was a pretty big success in my eyes. During that series, downloads more than doubled and actually managed to retain about 25% of those new listeners. So I want to say welcome to the new listeners. And 25% is actually higher than I estimated. I, it actually worked out pretty close to how I imagined it, that there would be a big swell during the show's first few weeks when the, the hype was hot, and then would kind of die down back to normal levels. On that note real quick, uh, if anybody who won digital comics during Daredevil 101 had any issues getting those books, please let me know. I will make it right and make sure that everybody gets those in their hands one way or another. So thank you for making Daredevil 101 a big success. Now a bigger success though was the actual Netflix special. That has gone to become the single highest downloaded episode of the series by a noticeable margin. So for an episode that was recorded on a really hasty time frame, on a tablet, with no editing, for it to become the highest downloaded episode, well, it's kind of conflicting as well as validating because what's wrong with the rest of the episodes, but I think that was an episode that just hit at the right time. Still, I'm pretty proud of that episode. I want to say thanks to everybody that made it the highest downloaded episode. And again, big special thanks to Bob Fisher of Superman Forever Radio for helping me get that episode out the door. And while we're on the subject of shoutouts, real quick, I want to give a few. Uh, one to Eric Von Royer who actually got the show mentioned on The Morning Steam, which is a daily podcast. It was a surprise to me, and the copy that was read was pretty incredible. I don't know if Eric wrote it. If you did, that was phenomenal. But I also saw a bump in listenership following that, and most of that has stayed. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Eric. And next time I'm in your neck of the woods, let's, let's make a point to meet up and hang out. Now, of course, the show has a lot of great supporters. We have the irredeemable Shag, who's always pimping the show and has gone out of his way to make a podcast promo repository, making it easier for podcasters like myself to find new shows to pimp. Now, we also have the great Sean Engel of Just One of the Guys over at the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That is a Guy Gardner, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern podcast. And Mark Adams of Mark's Mess Podcasts, a show that's currently covering Atlantis Attacks. I'm going to play the promo for that show in a few minutes. 
But on Mark's show, he covered the Daredevil annual that was tied into Atlantis Attacks, and he gave this show a really good shout-out. He has great interactions with his daughters. He brings them into the fold. And to simulate Daredevil's blindness, uh, he blindfolded them so they learn to use their other senses. And I found that part of the podcast incredibly fascinating. So what I'm going to be doing is catching up on the episodes of that show on my flights to and from New York. Since I am going to meet up with the two true freaks and hang out at Eternal Con in Garden City, New York. And that is occurring as this episode goes live. I will still be in New York barring any great catastrophe. As mentioned, I am moving the emails to the start of the show, prior to the promo. There was a discussion on Facebook about where to place emails in your show, feedback, etc. And Andrew Leyland mentioned putting it at the front of the show, over his show Hey Kids Comics, also on the Two True Freaks Network. And he mentioned that he does that to kind of get old business out of the way, to get things warmed up, uh, to show appreciation at the front, and I think that philosophy won me over. It also helps with sort of the way I've been making the show lately. So going forward, I'm going to be putting emails here at the preamble, so I will keep them relatively brief, so they'll be spread out over several episodes, but I think this will go smoother in the long run. So beginning this tradition now, we have an email from Eric Fortman, whose subject line is, I can call you Dave. Eric writes, Hey Dave, I've been meaning to email for a long time, and just extend some gratitude and give you a simple thank you for this masterpiece of a podcast you have embarked upon. Although I have been a collector since I was a young kid, and by collector I mean using my allowance to buy books but very seldom read them, I've really only been an avid DD fan and follower since about 01 when Kevin Smith's Green Arrow launched, and I loved it, which of course led me to track down any and all back issues of his 98 Daredevil run. So his run and the Bendis run that followed are two of my all-time favorite comic book runs. I cannot wait for your show to touch base on those in the future. I also just wanted to add my thoughts on the Daredevil Netflix series, as you have just launched your episode a few days ago in the series. And I'm going to do a timeout here real quick and just say this is spoiler-free, so you don't have to turn off your MP3 player. But back to Eric's email, while I'm not as big of a hater as most on the 03 Daredevil film, I could say this felt like a much-needed retribution for all Murdoch fans and Daredevil himself. Let's be honest, I had huge hopes for this show, but no idea that it would be as awesome as it actually was. With that being said, one small fact that I did notice from the show that I was positive you would pick up on, but you didn't, maybe it's because I'm a martial artist, but Daredevil, as we know, is left-handed. In the boxing and training sessions on the show, Charlie Cox is actually fighting right-handed. Not a huge deal at all, but just a small little fun fact I picked up on. Thought the man who fancies his Google map accuracy might enjoy looking into that a little bit, but the show was perfect and I am excited to see more. Sorry for the lengthy email, but just once again to say thank you. Please keep up this podcast as I will be listening to the end. Thank you, Eric. Let me first say, you're going to be listening for a long, long time if you're staying to the end. Recently, I went through every Daredevil appearance, uh, basically via comicbookdb.com, and picked out every one I ever wanted to cover. This show is going to be going for a lot longer than the original five years that I expected. To get back to the point of Eric's email... I totally did not catch that he was fighting right-handed on the original viewing. So I went, pulled up the first episode of Daredevil, which at the end has the Fogwell's training session. Again, not a spoiler. And sure enough, he's leading with his right. And I cannot believe I missed that. But well done, and, and thank you for your email, Eric. I'm going to jump into the next email, which is from Stephen Coyle. Subject line is Enjoy the Podcast. Stephen writes, Hi Dave, first of all, thank you for your podcast. My name is Stephen, and I live in Ireland. I am 33 years old and was always a bit of a nerd, but never really read comics before. I have to say that the Daredevil film from 2003 was one of my favorite films, and I recently began collecting comics myself, including Daredevil, starting from issue number one back in 2013. I have to say he is my favorite comic book hero. 
I found your podcast based on this, and although I have only listened to a few, I plan to listen to them all over time. Just wanted to drop you a line and say thank you for your efforts, and I will continue to listen as long as you produce the podcast. I've begun to collect as much Daredevil as I can over the next few years. Thanks, Stephen. And Stephen, all I can tell you is keep that collection going, and you know what? If you don't mind from time to time, drop me a line and let me know how that's going. I recently got some back issues to fill in some gaps I had. My single issue run starts from 191 and goes up to 317 currently. As I mentioned in Eric's email, you might as well get comfortable if you're listening to the end. I'm going to be here for a long, long time, barring, you know, health issues, things of that nature. But Stephen, I appreciate your email. and I really like hearing from the international side of the audience. Who would have ever thought that something I did sitting on my stoop as a nine-year-old would lead to, you know, just having friends across the globe? I certainly would not have put my money on that. But I've got one final email this week, and then I'm going to tie it off until next week. This email is from Ben Avery. He of the Welcome to Level 7 podcast. And it has the subject line, What Happened? The Daredevil Movie. And Ben writes, You asked a question a few days ago, and I actually think I have an answer. And I keep forgetting to send it. I intend to, and then I forget, and then another episode comes out, and I'm reminded, and then the vicious cycle ends. Now. This is especially irritating to me, because when I discovered your podcast, it may have been after your hiatus began. So I was sending in emails to you that were way late to the party, and then the answer to my question or thought would be answered in an episode that I'd listen to a few days later. That vicious cycle ends now, I hope. Anyway, the question is, what happened to the perception of Daredevil? Especially after people seemed to like it when they left theaters after it came out. I think it would be accurate to say that your typical fan of superhero movies would not rank Daredevil very high, and I think I have the answer, and it can be summed up in one word. Electra. That is what happened, one word, many facets. First, while the movie itself is good, with an opening origin that is fairly true to the comics, but also has emotion and style, and with over-the-top villains, and with some actual thematic meat, those aren't the most memorable things. What do people remember when they think of Daredevil? One of the most memorable scenes, and the one that we'll get pointed to first, is Daredevil and Elektra on the playground. It is memorable because it is, in my opinion, kinda dumb. The movie becomes a cartoon and not a good cartoon. A cartoon that is trying to be a romantic comedy. And actually, I think I'd like to see a cartoon romantic comedy as much as the next guy, especially if the next guy is me from a parallel universe or something, but this just feels stupid. It breaks the mood for one, and this is happening in a neighborhood where the blind lawyer seems to spend time. This is Secret Identity 101 stuff. You don't show off your superpowers, especially when your superpowers are hidden behind a facade like blindness, where it's pretty obvious when you are using them in front of a group of cheering children. I don't care how amazing she smells. I think that's one place where the stink of bad movies sticks to the film. But along with that, what was the sequel to this movie? Electra. Now, I haven't seen Electra. I plan to, I want to, I'm not judging it because I can't, but I can address perception. Even if Electra is not a sequel directly or whatever, and again, I can't address the specifics because I haven't seen it, it seems to be universally reviled. I have not seen one person say they love the movie. Truthfully, I have not seen one person say they even kind of like the movie. I hope you address Electra in the future of your podcast. I'll try to watch it before then. But I think Electra gave Daredevil a retroactively stinky movie taint too. Beyond Electra, for me personally, when I watch Daredevil, I enjoy it. It's just when I think about it, it's the bad parts that rise to the top of my thoughts. Daredevil threw a guy in front of a train. The Electra fight in the playground, which didn't even need to be there. Let them flirt and have her get picked up just outside the coffee shop before the fighting stuff. Let the fighting stuff happen later in private or in costume. 
Matt Murdock should be smarter than that, but I think Electra is the sticking point. The bad will that emerged after the initial warm feelings of having seen what was, for its time and still is now, a pretty good superhero movie. And Ben can be found at benavery.com as well as facebook.com slash benaverystoryteller and the Welcome to Level 7 podcast covering Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and soon to be covering the Daredevil Netflix series. And Ben, you kind of hit on something that I mentioned within the context of the movie. At the front of my heartfelt defense, I said I cannot defend the playground scene. Still can't, still won't. For every reason you listed and more, not only was it a cheesy fight, it wasn't a particularly well-done fight. The wire work was over the top. Anyway, in my heartfelt defense of the movie, I mentioned that Elektra, being kind of the instigation of the main plot itself, and being the spine, having been not only Matt's new romantic interest that never went anywhere, but also the focal point of Fisk's wrath, so to speak. It never really gelled right. But I think, on top of what you said, which I agree with, we never got a Daredevil sequel. We got Electro, we got a spin-off, which in and of itself is odd. Not only did we have a supporting character headlining a new movie, we had a supporting character who was killed in the context of the original movie, basically negating the emotions of the ending, Matt's motivation, etc. But I think that may be indicative of the problem uh, inherent in the focus that was brought to the table with the original Daredevil movie. Electra A was there from the beginning and probably shouldn't have been. It threw off the emotional core of the movie. B, Electra got a lot of focus in that movie where she just wasn't quite written right. And C, instead of making a sequel, they made Electra as the follow-up and the fact that they made this lackluster movie to follow up to that honestly commercially successful first movie, it felt like the studios didn't care about the first movie. And that got passed on to us, the viewers, which is a sad, sad state of affairs. But I think you nailed it. Electra is the center of why the perception of the Daredevil movie is so negative. To reiterate, that's both in context of the original movie and in context of the sequel in comparison. So good observation, Ben. I appreciate you dropping a line. Next up, that promised promo for Mark's Mess Podcasts covering Atlantis Attacks. And then when we come back from that, the jester arrives to really mess with our favorite blind lawyer slash superhero in Daredevil issue 46. Daddy, what did you do when Atlantis attacked? I donned my iron armor to fight with Namor, the Submariner. That was Iron Man. What did you do when Atlantis attacked? I gathered a group of heroes to fight against the serpent crime with my mighty shield held high. That's Captain America. Try again. I spun a web any size. Spider-Man. Uh, I punished the drug dealers. I have no idea. But are you just doing another podcast? Another podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess vs. Atlantis Attacks, a 15-part limited podcast series examining the Marvel annuals that have the banner heading of Atlantis Attacks. A story... A story joining the Marvel heroes against the Serpent Crown. Find it at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk on Twitter at Mark's Mess Podcasts and on iTunes by searching Mark's Mess. Where's my fiber? All right, true believers, we are back. We are jumping back to classic Daredevil with Daredevil number 46, cover dated November 1968. And when we last left off with classic coverage, well, it was a wacky issue. Foggy was running for DA. Matt was displaced in time. He got better. But in the scuffle, well, Mike Murdoch, quote unquote, died. Or at least was assumed dead since all that was left after an explosion was just a shred of Daredevil's costume. 
So poor, poor Mike, who was actually Daredevil, who was really Matt, who's Daredevil in actuality, is no longer with us. I'd have a moment of silence for Mike Murdock, but considering he was the fictional apparition of a fictional character, eh, not necessarily appropriate. But not a lot has happened since then. We've kind of had this new villain come up, the Jester, and the Jester has been a thorn in Matt's side. I'm going to get more into that in just a moment. The only thing I'll add that really would help with this story is the fact that after Mike's death, if you will, Karen in mourning left for a while, which is kind of where we're going to find Daredevil early on in this issue. But looking at the cover, the cover shows in a reflection of a television camera lens Daredevil laying defeated on a studio floor as the brightly clad jester swings his yo-yo in victory. Now this cover is actually quite astounding and has one of Colin's signature tricks, the camera obscura, if you will. We see the reflection of the event in one object while the reactions are happening in the background. We basically get two layers. And it really makes it feel chaotic. It feels real. And definitely it's, it's a great choice. It's different. And we see the reactions of the cameraman. We can see that this fight had to have been, well, a rough one. It's a potent effect of cover. It grabs us at a glance. And the jester being a thorn in Daredevil's side for months, this really sells the idea of an actual defeat. The story inside this cover is The Final Jest, written by Stan Lee, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by George Klein, and lettered by Artie Simic. It was reprinted in Essential Daredevil Volume 2, also in the 10th volume of Marvel Masterworks, which is Daredevil Volume 5. It is available digitally through Marvel Unlimited only. It is not available for sale. So with no further ado, let's jump into The Final Jest. In the New York State Prison, an inmate named Charlie decides to check out a newly arrived prisoner who has been booked for murder. Charlie approaches the sleeping form of Daredevil and begins to take off the Man Without Fear's mask. But Daredevil awakens just in time and does some quick moves on Charlie, knocking the inmate to the ground. Once Charlie gets his bearings, Daredevil is gone. So as any good, incarcerated citizen would do, Charlie alerts the guards at the attempted escape. In reality, Daredevil has just braced himself under the bed frame and uses some misdirection to send the guards one direction as Daredevil himself goes the other way. Daredevil is able to grab a newly washed doctor's coat and make his way down the prison corridors, throwing one guard off his scent. An unmasked Matt reaches a medical supply room and rushes out the exit, shouting at the guard to open the gate because of a medical emergency. Matt slips into a police cruiser and drives right out of the prison before the guard is alerted that he just released the man without fear. Okay, let's talk about what just happened in these first seven pages. We kind of dropped right into this story, which is definitely an attention getter. To fill in the blanks with a little bit more concrete information, after Matt faked the death of Mike, the jester arrived with issue 42, and this guy was a worthy foe. Now, admittedly, looking at the jester, you would think of two other DC villains. One would be the Joker, of course, but the other one that I think of more is Trickster. Because the jester uses things like yo-yos, pogo sticks, things like that, but these things are deadly. And despite being a derivative character, he's actually managed to throw Daredevil for a loop. So before you're tempted to laugh this guy off, look again. Because what he did is he actually drew Daredevil to a bridge in his civilian guise. And in front of plenty of witnesses and screaming Daredevil's name, he jumped. He made it appear that Daredevil murdered this guy. And this put Daredevil on an intense run from the law with the jester in costume now pretending to be the hero. This went on for quite some time and it was really, really hard for Daredevil to escape the police. A huge dragnet. It was really intense, I'll be honest with you. In the end, though, the jester managed to get Daredevil arrested by the police. He set up a trap, and that's how Daredevil ended up in the slammer. However, we got to point this out just because it's there. If Daredevil was recently arrested, 
he wouldn't go directly to state prison, he'd be in some sort of holding cell. And of course, I have to point it out, this is a tired trope in comics, nobody unmasks Daredevil. So this guy is a suspected murderer, he's in custody, and not only is he not put in holding, he goes directly to prison, doesn't even collect $200, nobody bothers to say, hey, we should probably figure out this guy's real name in order to collect that little thing called evidence. Might help in a trial. If they had a decent lawyer like Matt Murdock, oh. So that's where we're at, though, and I kind of roll my eyes every time Batman goes to Arkham Asylum and nobody thinks, hey, why don't we lift the mask here? Well, they have rights. I don't know exactly what the rights would be. I know this would probably fall under right to be silent. Holy cow, that's a tricky one. Being more specific on the story, looking at the opening page, in concept, this would be really boring. If you were to see the script, it'd be like yawn. Of course, colon being colon, and colon means quality, he makes it look great and very suspenseful. I almost hear a musical sting like something out of Dark Shadows as Charlie approaches. And this picks up directly from the end of the previous issue. This is the resolution to the cliffhanger. Charlie was leaning down about to unmask him. But don't worry, Daredevil has this in hand. Charlie ain't got nothing on Daredevil. And Daredevil socks Charlie right in the face. In the face! So Daredevil's locked in prison and he still has a snarky attitude. Daredevil has Charlie trapped in his legs like a vice grip and says, Anyway, thanks for waking me. I forgot to set the alarm. Remember when comics were fun? I mean, right after this, he starts spinning Charlie in his legs. This is hilarious. If this were a situation written nowadays, it would be dramatic and everybody would be forlorn. That's why I love some of these old classic stories. Sometimes they're goofy, but darn it, they are fun. And of course, Daredevil uses his noggin. He's using that brain pan of his. First, he distracts Charlie and then braces himself under the bed, which sets Charlie off to warn the guards. And of course, in the panic, Charlie forgets to shut the prison cell door. Genius. And then, of course, Daredevil sends the guard the other direction because they come up upon him after he's wearing this doctor's coat and he happens to get a fortuitous phone call on the prison line. So Daredevil just jumps right in. And, well, nobody stops to think, maybe Daredevil took off his mask? Huh? The thing about this, what makes this so fun and exciting is Daredevil's going by the seat of his pants and luck is intervening. I mean, just happens to find a lab coat. This allows Matt to unmask. He's moving around more freely. And he could even use the excuse, hey, I'm Matt Murdock, I'm a lawyer. I'm here to find my client. On top of that, we get a phone ring. And part of me thinks, okay, Matt might have been hosed without this, but I would like to see what he would have come up with without these conveniences. On top of that, there's a third stroke of luck when Matt goes to the supply closet responding to that fortuitous call. The doctor never looks at him when he tells him to move some supplies. And of course, an unsecured open door to the outside. I know it's a leap in logic. If you go to any prison, even in the medical areas, there's not just a random open door. Everything is secure. Before you leave that facility, you go through several guard checks. But this is still the 1960s, so I'm just going to give that a little bit of a slide. I mean, it's definitely an eyebrow raiser, but something I'm willing to let go. I have to point this out, though. We know Matt's not guilty of murder. He was framed. However, he just committed Grand Theft Auto without his mask. Without his mask. And I thought, could it be possible that he's on camera? I know this is 1969, but could it be possible... Yes, the closed-circuit television was available as early as 1949. Now, New York being one of the largest cities on the planet, this probably has some of the best prison systems as well, just for sheer population. So there is possibly footage of an unmasked daredevil walking the halls. Ah, 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 the recording aspect. Ah, there we go. 
There's our ace in the hole. The recording aspect of closed circuit television was not incorporated until the 70s. So in order to identify Matt, somebody would have had to have spotted him in real time. So as long as nobody was watching the cameras and it doesn't appear that way, Matt's home free. Daredevil's not so much, but let's be honest. It's really hard to nitpick this to death, because how cool is it that Daredevil just walked right out of a prison full of guards who are looking for him into a city that will be looking for him in a police vehicle? I mean, yeah, that has some moral questions, but Daredevil's unfairly framed. He's got to go out and find the one-armed man. And of course, speaking of the fugitive, this is another curious trope. We oftentimes see the wrongfully accused going to jail, and then they turn around and use illegal means to prove their innocence. As I said, Matt's in the right. He was framed. Revealing his identity would bring everything crashing down. But still, he stole a car. I'm just glad he didn't assault any guards. Because I think if his luck had run out, if that coat hadn't appeared, and the phone hadn't rang, well, what links would he have gone to? Sure, it could have been interesting, but it could have put Matt in a bad position. But Matt's out of jail now. He's out of that bind. So what's the next step for a wanted fugitive? Let's jump back into part two and take a look at how this story plays out. Matt ditches the stolen police cruiser and buys some clothes off a homeless man. Making his way back to the offices of Nelson and Murdoch, Matt pretends he was mugged. Even while he's laying on huge theatrics about being mugged, Matt manages to ask Foggy about Karen's whereabouts, but Foggy won't tell. Matt heads back to his brownstone to recover and goes through his exercise routine, working out the details of the situation with the jester. He realizes that he heard and smelled the distinctive cologne of a man on a subway while being pursued by the police. And it was that very man Daredevil was framed for murdering. So Daredevil couldn't have murdered the man because the man is still alive. Now Daredevil knows exactly what he must do to draw the jester out and clear his own name for a crime he did not commit. I'm going to stop again. I just got to point this out. He buys clothes from a homeless man. A dingy, dirty looking homeless man. Uh, you know, desperate times, desperate measures, but ooh. And here's the thing, when Matt proposes that the homeless man does him a favor, the guy seems to be up for anything. Matt says, say friend, how would you like to make a fast ten bucks? This homeless man, instead of being appalled and wondering, just says, what do I gotta do? Don't tell me, don't spoil it. Oh, that's awkward, isn't it? And the thing is, Matt takes most of this guy's clothes, so he's leaving this homeless guy in his underwear. Now don't feel too bad, ten bucks goes a long way in the 60s. And the homeless guy mentions he knows a place where he can buy some more clothes much cheaper. So I think the guy turned out okay, but wow, that was an awkward exchange. I like that Matt manages, even though he's being completely theatrical, saying, I was mugged, I was mugged, he manages to slip in, hey, have you heard from Karen? And as I mentioned, she's left after the death of Mike Murdoch. This is not the instance where she goes back to Vermont and Matt pursues her. This is another time she left. She does that a lot. And the thing is, Foggy kind of wins the issue. Because as Matt is slipping that question in, Foggy basically tells him, look, you never had any intention of committing to her. You never wanted to get serious. You practically drove her away from here. Yep, that's why Foggy's a good friend. He nails it. And not only that, he manages to tell Matt that not only did he not commit to that, he's now losing his edge because Karen has left. And as mentioned, he's still running for DA. That's still going on. So right after Matt hears what Foggy has to say and internally acknowledges it, he decides I gotta ditch work and jump around. I gotta think about how to clear Daredevil's name. And this was kind of a curious idea. Because Matt comes home, he puts on the tights, and does some exercises using his exercise equipment. Does Matt feel more at home in his Daredevil attire than at the office? 
is that costume some sort of release? Because he states that he felt the whole world was closing in on him. Now, I get the workout, and that may be just a matter of peace and quiet, but I wonder if the outfit releases something in him. Surely, in that outfit, at least with a portion of his Daredevil persona, or that extension of him, he feels less constrained. When he's in that Daredevil costume, he doesn't have to hide his abilities, per se. He has to hide the fact that they are compensating for him being blind, but he is more capable than you or I in some cases. There are less rules. It's a more straightforward mission. So, yes, at one point it's a, it's a change of clothes and that's it. But at the same time, he can move about almost as if he has no perceived handicap. Nobody's trying to help Daredevil cross a street. And that must be liberating and it must leak into other portions of his life. So he can probably think more freely when he's doing this in the costume than he would be at the office. And it works. I mean, that's the thing. He puts on that costume, does some exercise, and it works. So I do think there's something to that. I think putting on those clothes, even though we really never see a full-on personality change, it's not the difference uh, between Batman and Bruce Wayne, for example, or Clark Kent and Superman. Really, they're kind of the same guy. It's just a change of clothes. But at the same time, if you're going to go work out in a gym, normally you wear comfortable clothes. When you're going to work, you're wearing constraining clothes. And there is a change in attitude in that, and as I kind of laid out, changing into these clothes, his Daredevil duds, well, that's pretty liberating. So it must psychologically affect him as well. So Matt recalls when he was on the run, and this was in issue 45, and noted a scent in a voice that was familiar, and realized this is the guy he was supposed to have killed. Well, that guy who I was supposed to have killed must be the Jester, who's been driving this. So we've got another wacky plan, and what do you think that entails? Whenever Matt has a plan to draw somebody out, what does it normally entail? I know what you're thinking, let me confirm that I'm going to jump into the last stage of this story. Matt enacts the first stage of his plan by getting himself a Jester costume. Later, the real Jester is switching through the television channels and he chances on an interview with the Jester. Angry that somebody is stealing his shtick, the Jester suits up and heads down to the television studio to confront the imposter. Daredevil reveals himself and the two get down to the fighting. And fight they do as the cameras film every punch and every word said. Daredevil manages to score himself a well-earned victory as the Jester is laid out and unmasked. With the cameras rolling, people realize that the Jester is the very man that Daredevil was to have murdered. So if he's alive, Daredevil is no criminal. The man without fear is cleared of the charges but still doesn't feel happiness because there can be no happiness without Karen. And this curtain falls on a sad note for this chapter of Daredevil's Adventures. That's right. That's right. Again. Again, we're renting costumes to draw a villain out. I almost want to say this one makes a bit more sense because Matt is playing to the Jester's ego. He's a fickle, fickle dude, and Matt has figured this guy's number out. And that ma it makes perfect sense because the Jester has framed Daredevil for murder and then turned around and become the guy that captured Daredevil. He's a publicity whore, and Matt's totally playing into this. It's just lucky that Jester happened to be watching that exact channel at that exact time instead of out on the town. For the Jester, all the Jester had to do was let it go, Frozen style, and this scheme would have worked. The Jester could have actually used this to his advantage. He just had to sit there and let this free publicity play out on television. But no, no, he had to come in and fall right into Matt's hands. And we've been told time and time again that villains are a cowardly and superstitious lot, which is somewhat true. But in all reality, they're also egomaniacs in some cases, and insecure little kids in others, and the Jester falls into the latter category. And somehow, he totally arrives at the studio in record time, since the show is still filming. 
and then an extended fight scene ensues. The panel layouts are eye-popping. Colin really does himself proud. The fight feels fresh, it's fluid, it's totally different. The motion lines, the wind lines are just gorgeous. And most of the fight involves a giant rubber ball that follows Daredevil and destroys everything in its path. It's rare, rare for a rubber ball to be as this exciting or frightening. The last time I saw it was on an episode of Superman the Animated Series with Toy Man. Here, I think it's much, much more effective. And we get an incredible page of just a multi-image splash of Daredevil engaging the Jester, and each pose is different, almost as if you had a strobe light version of this fight. So we basically get five pages out of a 20-page story that is a fight scene, and that is fantastic because, realistically, this guy has just been spy-hunting Daredevil left and right and been a pain in his ass. Every time Daredevil turns around, this guy's busting his balls. So at this point, you're just ready to knock the crap out of the Jester yourself, so we get a lot of satisfaction seeing the Jester defeated. And of course, he's unmasked, the crime is shown to not be real, Daredevil's name is cleared in convenient time, too, because this is well before 24-hour news networks and social media, but Daredevil's immediately off the hook. So even with that, wouldn't somebody say, what happened to the car that you stole, Daredevil? You still broke out of prison. You kind of have to answer for that because that's evading arrest and obstructing justice. But what can I say? This issue was fun. It was an action-packed issue, especially five pages of action. Daredevil escaping from a prison. There was really not a slow moment in the entire run of this story. But was it quality? I don't know. Because we get to the end of this issue and Daredevil's still down in the dumps because of Karen. Kind of a glass-half-empty type of story. The problem is the Karen through-line didn't follow through. You never got to that emotional place where you really felt Matt missed her. Yes, there was some dialogue, but really this ending just kind of came out of nowhere. It could have been a lot stronger if Matt had really had his mind on Karen the whole time. And they could have gone with maybe a little bit more dialogue... But at the same time, you don't want to weigh down an action issue. So I don't know that there was a great way to win, but I think just a, just a skosh more of the emotion could have been really, really effective. So let's talk about the final verdict on Daredevil number 46. Now, it's fair to claim that the Jester is a Joker ripoff with a much uglier costume or a trickster ripoff, and that's true. The thing is, though, and the thing that struck me about him is he managed to succeed where other Daredevil villains have failed. He gave Daredevil a real run for his money. He put Daredevil on the run. And it was an engaging storyline that ran over multiple issues. The Animan, Matador, the Owl, even Stiltman have been challenges. But not on the long-term, relentless level that the Jester was. Daredevil was put through a ringer, no questions about it. Now as we're looking at this, Stan was wrapping up his run. And he really decided to put some solid storytelling in. Jester put Daredevil on the ropes and hit him from all sides, and this conclusion, as a climax, didn't disappoint. Again, the final fight runs for five pages, and it's Daredevil's brains that finally earn him the defeat. As the capper to the storyline, this issue is excellent. In and of itself, it's above average. I mean, Daredevil escapes from prison, outwits a villain, that's win. The pacing is incredibly brisk, especially for a Stanley Gene Colan installment. It was also... With the exception of the emotional part involving Karen, this was a well-metered story. There were times when you actually wondered just how Daredevil could win. Daredevil had been out-manipulated. The Jester was a physical equal with better weapons in some cases. So it did bring the suspense to the table. It was a great action issue and a great capper. You liked seeing this guy get his face punched in. 
But again, and I think this is a kind of a something I will let slide, that emotional through torrent just didn't quite reach right. It didn't track through the whole issue. But at the same time, you have to wonder, do you really want a sappy, weepy daredevil when he's in a major, major fight that's been coming for a while? Probably not. But overall, this was actually a really excellent issue. I was really hesitant when I did the random number generators to randomly choose issues to take a look at this one, because I thought the first appearance of the Jester would be more famous. But seeing the end of this, well, darn it, if you don't like action, you're reading the wrong comic. So I consider Daredevil 46 a win for the random number generator, and definitely recommend it if you can check it out on Marvel Unlimited or the Essential Daredevil Volume 2. Next week, the random generator has chosen another Stan Lee issue, and it turned out to be the final Stan Lee Gene Colan issue. That's right, the final with both of these creators. And to set it up for you, it involves Matt coming home, being frustrated, and running into a giant robot in his closet. That's right, Daredevil number 49 next week. Between now and then, be sure to visit daredevilpodcast.com for show notes and images. You can also find the links to subscribe to the show via iTunes, RSS, or Stitcher, where you can stream all kinds of content. You'll find a contact form there to email me, or if you just want to email directly, the address is mail at daredevilpodcast.com. If you're into social media, check me out on facebook.com slash daredevilpodcast or twitter.com slash daveweeder. Thank you all for listening. It's good to be back to covering some classic Daredevil. Next week, again, more classic Daredevil. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.